Y'all are listening to the Maverick of Marketing Radio Show. And now, here's your host, Shannon Maverick. What's up, y'all? Happy Monday to you. This is your host, Shannon Maverick of the Maverick of Marketing Radio. And what a beautiful Monday to be alive. I'm excited to be in the studio here. We have a bit of a unique... Uh, show all around. So the audio that you'll be hearing a bit later from our guests, who I'll introduce here in a second, actually happens to be one of my first video interviews that I got to do. I got to step in for um, some of our hosts here at MarketScale, being that uh, we just had a great conversation with these two guests out at TCEA in Austin the previous week. So stay tuned. You'll be able to see the visual component to the audio you're about to hear. And the two guests that I'll be speaking with are Mr. Bob Wudek, Senior Director of Business Development, and Carly Burton-Soleil, Digital Marketing Manager for a wonderful leading innovator of visual display solutions company called BenQ. So if you're in a classroom, if you're in a corporate environment, if you're at home, uh, they're they're previously known for their technology being used at home with projectors, but you've encountered BenQ products. So they're going to be speaking with us all about the kind of evolution that we've seen throughout um, technology being introduced into classrooms, where they see technology going, how does it translate from school district to even classroom to classroom within those school districts, and kind of their favorite pieces of technology being used in the classroom. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, I have an extra special guest joined with me this morning, Mr. Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B himself. Yo. <laughs> hey, Hi. Daniel. Hello. How, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I normally have Tyler with me, but Tyler is uh, off gallivanting around Mexico, I think it is. Uh, yes. I don't know why. I think it's maybe was it a wedding or I'm not sure. Just chilling. All I know just swagging is swagging it up. I am extremely jealous of him getting to soak up the sun, enjoy the sand and the beach. Totally. Ah, but that is only second to being in the studio with you. So. Wow. Oh, I mean, I know he's really jealous <laughs> yes. of uh, of Maverick of Marketing right now. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. But um, yeah, really fun show this morning. So we'll hear that interview uh, coming up. But I had a couple interesting news pieces that I read over the weekend that I just had to talk about. One being kind of close to my heart with um, NASA. Okay. And they're calling out to astronauts who want to join the lunar mission that they're having um, later on in, I think it was 2024. They're wanting to go to the South Pole of the moon. So not the South Pole here, but of the moon. Um, and what do you need to have in order to qualify to be an astronaut for NASA? I know my mother would be very interested in hearing. She, I don't know if I've talked about, th- I've talked about NASA and SpaceX and Virgin Galactic before, but my mom is a child at heart and her dream is always to have been an astronaut. And she's as close as she can get by being a flight attendant. So um, anyways, in order to join the Artemis mission to set up a base on the South Pole of the Moon, you will need to have a thousand hours of pilot in command time in a jet aircraft, as well as a master's degree in STEM technology. Okay. Two years of work towards a PhD in related STEM field or a doctorate of medicine in osteopathic or osteopathic medicine. So. 
<laughs> While this article made it seem as though they were kind of appealing to anyone, uh, NASA Administrator Jim Burdenstein said they're taking all eligible Americans if they have what it takes, that is in quotes, and then goes on to say you have to have a thousand hours of piloting a jet, you have to have a master's, a doctorate. So if you fall into any of those categories and you've always found yourself wanting to go to the moon, they're taking applications starting March 2nd. Wow. I love that. Yeah, you know, this is, um, I feel like we could do a follow-up on this once the application opens up on the second uh, to really see how they're marketing this. You know, yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, I feel like there's a maverick of marketing specific <laughs> train of thought here. Uh, you know, being an astronaut is one of those career paths that is hard to visualize what that path looks like. You know, how yeah. do I get from point A to point B? Um, of, you know, dreaming about it to actually being launched into space. Right. But uh, I could see there being a really focused and exciting marketing campaign around reaching out to and pulling people into this project. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure there aren't like a plethora of qualified people mm -hmm. applying for something like this, um, considering how stringent the qualifications are. And well, and even to go on top of that, the American Space Agency, for some, I mean, I'm all for it, but for whatever reason, they're saying they actually want that first person to step on the South Pole and start on that base. They want them to be a female astronaut. Mm. So it's interesting. Um, we'll see. They're feeling a little bit more pressure and space travel has been so much more hyped up since private agencies such as SpaceX and Virgin Galactic have really popped up. So NASA is just kind of putting out this plea or I guess appeal to, like Jim Burdenstein said, any and all Americans who have what it takes, including a thousand hours of pilot experience and a master's and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting. If you happen to fall into those categories, um, I guess March 2nd is your time to shine. Totally. So, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they use social media, how they use yeah. their professional channels, television ads, whatever, to pump this out there and get it to the right people. I wonder if they're gonna be doing, you know, um, uh, visiting kind of exhibits at maybe- Universities. Yeah, universities or different um, Air Force bases. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably a great place to start as well. So yeah, we'll we'll see, but it's, it's interesting to see how such an established program is trying to kind of rebrand its approach yeah. and bring new people into the process for a long game of you know what they were saying here is hopefully setting up the team that is going to prep for and potentially go to Mars in the near future. So mm -hmm. we'll see. Yeah, I know. So March 2nd, it's your time to shine. So we'll see and kind of maybe check back in on if they've announced who they've gone with. I'm sure it'll take a while. Truly. But uh, on to a little bit more scary news. So oh. <laughs> astronauts are fun. Space travel is fun. Yes. What is not fun is where your finances live and the bank that you decide to keep those finances in. Ruh -ruh. Um, Friday, Wells Fargo an article released by CNN Business, uh, is being fined $3 billion by the U.S. government for a fake account scandal. So Wells Fargo has been under a series of fire the last few years, really, um, for a number of different kind of um, fines or just malpractice business 
practices and um, the settlement with the Justice Department and the Securities Exchange Commission is um, going up against them for fake account scandal and civil liberties um, that have erupted about four years ago. So basically, um, Wells Fargo admitted between 2002 and 2016, it falsified bank records, harmed credit ratings of customers, unlawfully misused their personal information, and wrongfully collect collected millions of dollars in fees and interest. So a lot of stuff uh, getting Wells Fargo under fire. And that's just what they're being sued or, I guess, fined for right now. It's not focusing on the um, mistreatment of workers, auto borrowers, home buyers, and other customers that the bank has been accused of wrongdoings. So um, if you have, I'm curious to hear if you've had your accounts or you've had any kind of interactions with Wells Fargo over the last I guess since 2002, between 2016, if you've noticed any of these, um, any of these things affecting your finances. No, I mean, <clears throat> I'm Legacy Texas. You know, I'm I'm not Wells Fargo, so I haven't interacted with, uh, you know, any of their professional services. Yeah. So, no one in my family is affected by this, um, but it is, you know, I, I think an indictment. Uh, both literally and figuratively of, um, you know, some of the lack of oversight that I think exists in high finance mm -hmm. on Wall Street. Um, the fact that, you know, they can, I mean, they obviously didn't get away with it entirely, but the fact that yeah. they were able to for such a considerable amount of time is telling. Uh, and I, I think... Um, I, I think three billion is a surprisingly high number. Mm -hmm. um, so you know the they're paying some kind of. But when you think about here. the amount of money that they hold, right? Three, is three billion really even compare no. or come close? And it's interesting you mentioned that uh, kind of a financial institute of that size could have got gotten away with this. Actually, the U.S. Attorney Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray, excuse me, for the Western District in North Carolina said, today's announcement, meaning on Friday, should serve as a stark reminder that no institution is too big, too powerful, or too well-known to be held accountable and face enforcement actions for its wrongdoings. So I guess there's a lot of people in higher power that have been very upset by what's been going on. And that's why Wells Fargo hired Charlie Scharf um, in the last year. He's a well-respected former CEO of Visa, Bank of New York Mellon, and was hired basically to get Wells Fargo back on track as their new CEO because their stock fell about 5%, whereas comparable banks such as Bank of America and JP Morgan have doubled since that time window from like 2002 to 2016. So I am sad to say I am a Wells Fargo customer, <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't noticed. I, I mean, I hadn't really noticed anything too crazy going on. So I just feel for those who have been affected. But it sounds like they're taking in very big steps to fix this and um, kind of be seen as that financial institution of its past that everyone kind of looked towards. So. Anyways, I'd be curious to hear if you had been affected. Um, chime in after we post this episode on, I guess I'll post it on my LinkedIn. So chime in in the comments to let me know if you've seen anything or maybe private message me. I'm curious. While I'm not affected, I'm 
clearly there have been people who have been. So that about does it for yeah. a couple of the pieces that I saw over the weekend that I thought we just needed to talk about. And I will stop rambling and we can get on to an awesome interview with Bob Wudek and Carly Burton Soleil of BenQ talking all things ed tech and technology in classrooms. So we'll go to a quick commercial and we will be right back with that interview. Hey everyone, this is Kevin Stevenson. Listen to my show, I Don't Care, on Friday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Central Time. We'll be diving into a wide variety of interesting healthcare topics that you may not find anywhere else. Find us on marketscale.com and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. about a really fun, exciting topic of education technology and really the evolution of technology in classrooms. And I have some very special guests joined with me today, Mr. Bob Wudek and Carly Burton Soleil, um, Senior Director and Digital Marketing Manager for BenQ. So thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Good to be here. I figured with TCEA just wrapping up, it was kind of an important um, topic to touch on, just kind of how technology's changed in classrooms rooms and I figured that's kind of a, a topic close to y'all's hearts and I thought you're kind of starting your audience young you work with them having your products in their classroom taking it to then their jobs in the corporate field and then even at their homes with your products because mm -hmm. I know BenQ branches a lot of different verticals but focusing specifically on ed tech today so I had <clears throat> kind of this thought of the chicken and the egg scenario right so is it that having more technology in classrooms makes children better learners? Or is it by enhancing technology in classrooms, you just simply allow kids and their natural ability to learn, make it easier for them? I was curious to hear your thoughts. I think the technology helps them to bridge gaps. So even if you look all the way back to a simple technology like an algebra calculator yeah. at Texas Instruments, right? It. Uh, uh, it transitions from a chalkboard to a calculator and then there's learning on how people actually learn. And then uh, the technology enables it to be easier to apply those uh, uh, techniques in technology rather than try to peanut butter spread them across thousands <laughs> of different teachers versus putting a calculator in to force you to do step by step from algebra. And you can see that in various um, elements of technology, whether it's a classroom response system or a flat panel system, or doing a, a math problem up on a on an interactive whiteboard rather than a chalkboard or mm -hmm. uh, uh, something like that. Okay, interesting. So from that, it sounds like kind of the hands-on products are the ones that you see making the biggest impact. Or what types of technology do you see really helping kids learn at a more efficient rate? I personally think that kids because of the way society is now, like they're introduced to technology basically the moment they're out of the womb, yeah. um, that they are learning at a different a different pace in a different way than we ever did when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And so for them, like sh mainlining into technology in kindergarten and first grade is just like breathing. So for us to be able to have products in the classroom that allow them to interact from, whether it's a tablet or a laptop that they have that they've been issued by the school with something that the teacher is utilizing allows them to 
also helps set the pace of how the class is going along with what the teacher is doing to make sure that she's teaching along or he's teaching along yeah. at the same level that the kids are and that they're able to access it both in the classroom and at home. So a lot of the materials that we provide allow for the display in the classroom and some of our tools also allow for you to take that into home, help the students at home as they're going over pro pro problems at the uh, at home with their parents um, and helping the parents who don't know some of these new right. techniques like new math you yeah. know oh helping them understand those things as well so um, it's kind of bridging a gap from like those of us that didn't grow up with technology as as uh, mainstream as our, our kids now do yeah it's almost like they come home smarter than we are my little cousins I'm like wait a second how do you know this this they show me something on my phone that I never even knew so I think bridging <laughs> that gap is important right. so thanks for sharing that and you mentioned teachers while I know teachers at the end of the day might not be directly who's purchasing your products those are the people that are going to be using your products in the classroom along with the students mm -hmm. so how do you take into mind then whenever you're talking about marketing BenQ products or just technology products in general um, take the teachers into consideration with these um, products well teachers are unique in that they're very mission-oriented Right, so a lot of business products uh, are designed to serve a particular role, but uh, for education, it goes much beyond that. Mm -hmm. So uh, part of the uh, dynamic that teachers bring is they're generally creative, and they think things through, and they're always trying to figure out how can I communicate a point better. Yes. To, so when we talk to a teacher at a trade show or when we're talking to a technology district, Typically, we're the ones asking questions, trying to figure out what they're trying to do, yeah. rather than, okay, here's why here's our product is great. Do. Because we design around paradigms that we know, mm -hmm. but the unique thing is those paradigms are always changing. Ten years ago, you had a projector on a classroom uh, with a board and the teacher sat in the front, and these mm -hmm. things are hardwired into all these old schools. Nobody wants those anymore. Yeah. Nobody, uh, you know, is using BGA anymore, and uh, you know they don't know if they want the teacher in the front of the classroom <clears throat> anymore, and they don't know if they want to use a projector anymore, and they don't even know if that teacher is going to be there or moved. So, whereas the conventional thinking of teaching is uh, kind of the the classroom and and fixed, right? Mm -hmm. The reality is is that it's much more dynamic, even within a district where you have lots of different teaching models. And in one case, uh, up in Illinois, we have a teacher who teaches uh, a, a, curr a curriculum director who lets their teachers use any oh. uh, software. Mm -hmm. So they don't have a walled garden approach. The, 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 the IT director has to support like four different <gasps> operating systems, whether it's a Promethean or Smart or Google or Apple or yeah. Microsoft or whatever. They just, so they have to accommodate that. And you know, 10 years ago, it was, uh, I would call it like religion wars, right? So you have, a, it's either a purple shirt or an orange shirt or a green shirt or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's what you wore. That all has changed uh, because all of those companies are competing and the schools want to be able to have choices. Yeah. So really taking in kind of that consultancy approach, saying, okay, because every district and every classroom really is unique. Mm -hmm. So I imagine there's unique problems within, or I guess opportunities to solve those problems when you're either creating new products or selling existing ones. And that kind of brought me to a thought of whenever you're <clears throat> thinking of new products or existing products, a lot of times funding at schools can be a little scarce. Mm -hmm. and 
when you think about all this new innovation, sometimes having too much innovation, I would imagine, can be confusing. If each year the students come in with new technology and it kind of takes a buffer time to adapt to new technologies, is it more important to focus on maybe retrofitting and enhancing existing technology, or is it always a good idea to focus on new, new, new innovation at the forefront? Um, I think innovation is important, but there has to be some comfort level. Mm -hmm. So besides the students that you don't want to throw a curveball every time they walk into a new classroom at the beginning of the year, you also have your teachers. You have a lot of le legacy teachers that are still in the classroom that, again, didn't start their careers teaching things right. on a whiteboard. They started on those, those uh, <laughs> plastic screens that you would roll <laughs> yeah, up at the end of class right. and things like that. They're not used to this sort of thing. So throwing at them a new piece of technology every year, every other year, just because it's the latest and greatest makes it really hard for them to ever feel confident in what they're doing, and that's really important for a teacher in the classroom. Yeah. They have to be able to be confident because if they're not confident, their students can't be confident. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the products that we create um, allow the teachers to, like Bob says, not live in a walled garden. You choose your own adventure is the way I always word it. If they're a Mac user, if they're a, a Chromebook, whatever their comfort level is, we create products that work within those comfort levels. So they're not having to learn brand new software every time a new piece of technology is entered into the classroom, at least when it comes to our products. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I feel like <clears> there's two, there's a teacher that's fresh out of school who's brand new and is excited, and then there's a teacher who's, like you said, a legacy teacher who's been there for 20, 30 years, and they were teaching on this roll-up plastic um, screens, like you were saying, so having to make sure that the training and the technology that you roll out is compatible for both types, I imagine, mm -hmm. is something that you deal with a lot and probably take a lot into com uh, consideration. Yeah, and we see both uh, viewpoints mm -hmm. at, at when we talk to teachers. But, you know, there's also the classic case of, uh, you know, a classroom in the front, teacher in the front. Yeah. Maybe they don't have the budget to be able to change any of that. but. Uh, they're tired of replacing uh, projector lamps uh, <laughs> yeah. or cleaning filters. Uh, you know, nobody likes to get up on a ladder and clean a filter. No. So uh, products like uh, the VenQ laser projectors that we've rolled out uh, that have now won a bunch of awards uh, are really nice ways to be able to upgrade the technology so these things will last 15 or 20 years. They're not that expensive anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't really necessarily have to change the basic methodology or the structure of the yeah. room. So, mm -hmm. so you'll see, you know, a school walk in and say, okay, I either want to keep the, this same or maybe put a wireless screen mirroring system and just change that so I can flip things around where the people sit, or mm -hmm. maybe I change the projector, or maybe I just abandon the projector and abandon the whiteboard and go to a flat panel or or something else. You yeah. know, you you never really know. And this is very unique because 20 years ago it was. Pretty much, uh, yeah. and in the UK, it's all the same. It was all the same because the, really? the Queen declared that you will use inter interactive technologies, so everybody, all the classrooms, pretty much look the same. In North America, it's quite a bit different. Oh yeah. Wow. Interesting. Different different cultures, I guess. Waves her wand, <laughs> or I guess that's the wrong term. And y'all shall have. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, interesting. It all sounds like every, like we said, every school district, every classroom is unique. Um, and that kind of brings me to, I thought it'd be fun to hear, I didn't grow up with touch boards, or I sometimes, even in elementary school, had the 
the flat um, papers where the teacher would write on it with a projector and it put it up there. So all this new stuff that kids have is just amazing. So mm -hmm. I thought it'd be fun to hear of the BenQ products that y'all have, which would you have hoped that you would have in your classroom when you were growing up? Uh, I have to think like every child in school, like you, you want a chance to shine. Yeah. So our, our <laughs> BenQ boards, our interactive flat panels, we call them the BenQ boards, mm -hmm. um, they give every kid a chance to shine. And because it allows for more than one kid to be utilizing the board at the same time, you give more than one kid a chance to do that. Like they get awesome. to get up there and they get to show like what they've learned or how they figured things out. It's kind of like what makes all of us unique in our different careers and what we bring to the table. And they give give them a chance to be able to do that. And I think that's really important now, and it would have been important back then. Yeah. It's less dirty. You don't have the dust of a chalkboard <laughs> or the or the smudging on the side of your hand from a dry erase board or any of that kind of stuff, because it's all electronic, so. Yeah. Well, definitely a product I wish I would have had. Yeah. What about you, Bob? I, I'm gonna go with the same. And, okay. And the reason why is, uh, so I was terrified of algebra. And okay. uh, when you go up to the board with a piece of chalk, it <sighs> was, you know, nobody in the classroom ever wanted to go into Getting algebra. Getting the anxiety already thinking about <laughs> it. So just north of here in Frisco, we're the new home of the Dallas Cowboys. Mm -hmm. um, the Frisco schools have started to put BenQ boards in some of their collaboration spaces. So Wonderful. we went and did a leadership team visit over there and started talking to the teachers. And the teachers uh, were really excited about these because what's happened is the kids want to quote unquote write on the TV. Mm -hmm. And oh, so, cool. and I'm like, wait a second, you're telling me that you're having a problem trying to keep, keep them off of the TV and uh, whereas, you know, nobody ever wanted to go right up in the chalkboard. It was scary, and now it's like, I want to turn, I want to turn. That's mm -hmm. exactly right. She said, you know, these kids have been told that they're smart, and they want to show it off, and they want to be able to write on the TV, wow. and it's a magical moment. And I think about, well, I'm not still sure, because I'm weak in algebra, that I would have necessarily wanted to go and write on the TV. <laughs> make but it a little more inviting. It does make it a lot more fun and exciting, because it's very dynamic, and it's quite a bit different than writing on a chalkboard, which is not particularly a satisfying experience. Wow. Well, definitely I'd have to agree with y'all. I think that sounds like the choice I would probably make too. And it just makes learning a bit more fun. And like you said, not less scary to get up and kind of be in front of the class. It's, I get my turn now instead of, oh, I have to go up there. So, right. well, thank you so much. Uh, I think EdTech's one of those things we'll continue to see evolving. And it's just interesting to hear y'all's feedback on um, what you've seen. And it sounds like me, to me, every classroom is different. So it's really just about what's the best thing for kids in that area. So Bob, Carly, thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you everybody for joining in. Um, again, Bob Wudek and Carly Burton-Soleil from BenQ. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll be talking with you all soon.
Wow, lots and lots of good stuff from that interview. I mean, talk about people who are so well-versed in that realm. They literally talk to and deal with teachers and educators with technology every day. So who better to kind of speak to how they've seen technology progress and why they feel these new types of technology are gonna enhance the leaders of tomorrow, if you will. Um, a couple of things that I found really interesting from speaking with Bob and Carly was Carly mentioned there's a comfort level to innovation. I couldn't agree more. They kept saying you don't want to live in a walled garden or Carly said, choose your own adventure. Mm. So having technology that integrates with multiple different types of platforms, whether it be Apple, whether it be Chrome, whether it be software, hardware, making sure that when they're creating new products, it's applicable and friendly to existing products. So you don't have to show up to school every year and learn a new software or learn a new product. Um, so I found that particularly interesting. And something that really struck me that I had no idea is that the UK has standardized technology in mm. all of their classrooms. Do you think that gives them an advantage to having every single school gets the exact same type of technology? Or is it better, like here in America, maybe this school district needs a little extra here. Maybe this one doesn't need this here. I'm not sure which one makes for a better approach. I mean, I feel like equity in technology access is probably going to win out um, mm -hmm. because it's not like here in the States we siphon technology off based on need, really. It's based more on like budgetary restrictions. So like yes. which school can afford or has the budget from their state to even implement technology like this. So it's not like, you know, we have some really thought out system for parceling out a limited amount of technology. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know, school districts with more funding right. in um, whether that is due to, you know, just like a, a richer constituency that they are serving um, or they just have better funding from their state government, they're going to have room for tech. Um, poor inner city schools are not. And yeah. I think that kind of equity is good. Uh, so props to the UK for something like that. But I mean, that's just a starting point, right? So first mm -hmm. is just access to the technology. And then it's, okay, from here, how do we then tailor the tech to each person, each uh, group of kids, um, and you know each community's needs once everyone has access to the same yeah. kind of, of tech and education. And I suppose you have to take into account, too, I think Texas is bigger than the country of Britain. <laughs> right. So comparing <laughs> um, the United States of America to the UK, whether it be Britain, Ireland, Scotland, you have it. Um, there's also that comparable size difference. So I don't know. It was just a fact um, that Bob mentioned that I had no idea. Uh, it's no, interesting. No prior knowledge. So um, yeah, but key takeaways. I think every classroom is different, like we talked about, and you have to make sure that there is that comfort level to innovation, whether it be a company creating new products or whether it be the IT directors and the tech directors at these schools. So very interesting stuff. And as I noted earlier, this is a video interview. So we will be posting the visual component to the audio you just heard a little bit later on. So stay tuned for that. You get to see my face <laughs> along with, Love it. <laughs> with Carly and Bob. So that about does it for us today. It does. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I just I wanted to give one last um, 
little piece of insight. I, I really liked how at the end there they were talking about how engaging the students where they want yeah. to engage is really going to elevate education today. And, you know, even though we don't see every kid have access to personal technology, uh, we do see how comfortable the ones that do have access to technology are with the technology. Your iPads, your streaming services, your social media platforms, gaming platforms. I mean, kids really understand how, you know, why um, an extra layer of engagement mm-hmm. is exciting. Yeah. And I mean, they may not think of it, <clears throat> excuse me, in that kind of focused way and like, oh, I am being engaged, right? right? Like they just, <laughs> they just are um, because the platforms know how to hit them and, and appeal to them uh, in more focused and exciting and visually stimulating and also just like collaborative collaborative and emotionally stimulating ways. So bringing that to the school system and bringing that to the technology that you use in school. So engaging them on Mm -hmm. the board that they're using instead of the chalkboard, it's, you know, whatever the, the BenQ board or the smart board or any other kind of interactive, um, kind of whiteboard substitute that goes a long way. And so I just, I appreciated that they brought that insight because I agree with that insight. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, it definitely makes, I think, learning or the idea of going to school and going to class a lot more fun. Like Bob was saying, it's my turn to get to ride on the board instead of, oh God, they called on me again, which is definitely how I felt, like he was saying in algebra or in my account, it was, um, I wasn't too good at geometry. But nice. anyways, so the idea of making <laughs> learning more collaborative and more fun, emotionally stimulating is, it's just setting us up for a really successful future fingers crossed agreed (laughs) with all these students but um well daniel thank you so much for being here with me today absolutely and uh that about does it so stay tuned for that video and the visual component and as always y'all remember mavericks we just don't run with the herd Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) exactly (laughs) i love it all right Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Maverick of Marketing with your host, Shannon Shannon Maverick. Maverick. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Bye, everyone.